What's up, homies? What's up, homies? I'm Erica. And I'm Roshane. And as always, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Um, we're talking about a Christmas movie today. <laughs> I bet you weren't expecting that. <laughs> it's jingle, jingle. Christmas. Jingle, jangle, bitches. It's Christmas <laughs> in July. <laughs> uh, surprise. <laughs> if you watch a movie around Christmas time, and it gives you Christmas joy, it's a Christmas movie, right? Like, mm. is that not just the best way to think about it? That's fair. Yeah, because there are those certain movies that just have, like, that Christmas magic. Mm-hmm. They're not a Christmas movie, but they just have, like, that same warm and fuzzy feeling. Uh, this isn't one of those movies. Um, no. It's not, uh, it does not have Christmas magic, of course, I'm but. saying, if you like to watch Hellraiser for Christmas and that's your Christmas movie, I commend yeah. you. And I say go for it. Live your best life and be true to yourself. We see a Christmas tree in this movie. That's enough for me. Honestly. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's a wrap. Um, but how many, Wait, how many homies do you think just got so confused about, like, what? why are they talking about Christmas in Christmas the heat movies? of the hottest summer we've ever had? <laughs> okay, but we're not going to pretend, like, Christmas in July is not a thing. Is, is not the thing that they do on the Hallmark Channel you're right, every you're right. year. You're, I retract like, my statement. You are yeah. very much correct. But so, yeah, we're talking about The Conjuring 2 today. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a minute. It's been a minute since I hit it. Um, what is that from? You're asking the absolute wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> my lyrical knowledge is toddler level. <laughs> well, if anybody knows, please reach out. Um, but. <laughs> It has been it has been a minute since we talked about the original Conjuring. Yeah, that was, that was like, quite a few episodes ago, wasn't it? I feel like that was pretty early-ish on in our podcast escapades. Um, I could be wrong, but it does feel like it's been a, a while. True. Um, and also, it's been a while since I have seen this this one. I definitely watched the first one a lot more often um, because the first one is usually a lot more available on streaming apps right than than this one but i've recently been blessed um by someone who gave me their hbo max information let's, <laughs> so go. I, let's go i just blessings keep falling in my lap homies <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so i was able to get on there and watch this one i don't think i watched this movie in years i've definitely outside of the podcast i've definitely watched the first one several more times than i've watched this one i've probably only mm-hmm. seen this once ever before it's probably like my one mm-hmm. watch of it and i don't think i watched it again because i was kind of the same I'm like I don't, I don't remember most of this yeah yeah very specific scenes stuck in my mind and then the rest of it was kind of a blur yeah, but i just remember um, there was a nun that was that was like my biggest yeah. thing i was like a nun comes in this one i know she's yes. here we we are introduced to a nun in this one yeah which and then lorraine stabs a bible i remembered that 
Does she? Oh yeah. Well, well it looks it looks like yeah. she stabbed the Bible. Maybe the Bible didn't bleed, but she was she was trying to draw blood from the Bible. <laughs> right, yeah. If the Bible could bleed, it would have been a bloody mess by the time Lorraine was done with it. Or it would have at least saying. given a very audible ow that fucking hurts Lorraine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but alas, Bibles can't talk. <laughs> so <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk about this one because this is another movie that despite us both seeing it, we have never discussed, Yeah. but we had discussed the first Conjuring like prior to us recording it. So I'm, I'm excited to have our first Conjuring 2 conversation right now. Um, True. so yes, let's talk about it. All right, homies, we are, as always, entering into spoiler territory. So you have been warned, but this week, as we said, we are talking about The Conjuring 2. This one came out in 2016, I want to say, 2016? Mm-hmm. 2016, mm-hmm. um, directed by the one and only James Wan, starring Vera Farmiga as Lorraine, Patrick Wilson as Ed, and Madison Wolf as Janet. Lorraine and Ed Warren are back at it again. This time, the paranormal pairing are heading across the pond to join an ongoing investigation on the Hodgson family, who claims their Enfield home is being terrorized by a poltergeist. Little does the family know, they've got much more to worry about than a little flying furniture. Insert sleepless nights, crooked men, and Bill, Bill, Bill Wilkins here. Our film concludes with Ed and Lorraine doing everything they can to help the Hodgson family while facing demons of their own. Also, discount Elvis Presley. Roll credits. <laughs> All right, Roshane. Yes? What's in your notebook? Hit me with it. <laughs> well, the first thing in my notes was, damn, this is how you summarize the Amityville horror in a single scene. Mm-hmm. They sure did. So we talked about forgetting things that happened in this movie, I completely forgot that that was even a part of this film. That it, like, starts yeah. at Amityville? Mm-hmm. Because, like, I was genuinely confused when we opened up because I was like, wait, I, I could have swore this took place in England. Like, what are we doing with this family? <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, this is just kind of like the setup, which mm-hmm. was pretty good, not going to lie. Um, just right off the bat, like... One of the things I love about this movie, and is one of the things I liked about the uh, the original Conjuring too, is James Wan fucking knows how to shoot paranormal. When mm-hmm. it like the the camera work and just the way that they create paranormal instances is just so cool throughout this entire movie, and it's, it's so creative the different ways that he figures out how to do it. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. He he definitely has a grasp and a handle on building tension and building creepy atmosphere and filling this movie with very successful 
moments where you can appreciate the camera work, but you're also scared because the way that things unfold is done so well and it builds the tension up so well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it starts right out of the gate with this sequence where uh, Lorraine is basically reliving what happened at the Amityville house. And it's, yeah, it's wonderfully shot. It's very, a very cool way of doing it where it kind of brings you into the moment, but you're still there with Lorraine. Lorraine and and the people. Yeah. Yeah, I love that little dual perspective that we get um, in the visuals where it's like, she's looking at herself still be in the other room while she's walking through this Mm -hmm. terrible sequence. I was like, oh, my God, it's so cool. Yeah, it's super cool. And, yeah, the, when you ke- keep catching her reflection in the mirror, but you see that she is no longer herself or that she's, you know, reliving somebody else's events is a great shot. And in a movie that this, this is a great thing about The Conjuring's thus far, at least for us only seeing these first two is there's not a lot there are no people die in these movies there's not a lot of gore Mm -hmm. but despite that it feels like that is always a possibility and so i think that is what helps ratchet the tension up and in in this whole sequence i think is the goriest that the series ever gets gets, right yeah, right. Yeah. With seeing these people being shot, you really don't see much. It re- you literally just see their clothes get stained with blood. You hear the gunshots, but she's not even holding a gun. Um, yeah, that's the goriest this movie gets. Yeah. And it's done very, very well. Yeah, but it also does set up some stuff for the film and for the Warrens, too, because for one, we get that really, really cool basement sequence with the nun and stuff, which I did like a lot. I, I love once mm-hmm. we got into like the basement portion, she saw um, Ed die basically, and it scares the shit out of her. Mm-hmm. Mostly because all that all that shit happens, like all the Amityville stuff happens. Like you go back, like everybody's fine. And then you immediately just jump to something completely different. <laughs> and the movie's like, oh, you thought that was the main course? Like, no, no, no. Those scares was just the appetizer, baby. Like, we yeah. just getting started in this one. Like, yeah, you ain't seen the, nothing yet. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Those were the hors d'oeuvres. Like, <laughs> the hors d'oeuvres. You, like so, you just got a little snack. Right. Um, so I love but, that. I love that bit. But I also like that they even chose to start with the Amityville stuff because mm-hmm. that that whole event in, in real life was a huge thing for the Warrens, too, right? Like, that was the thing that put them in the spotlight. Um, so it's kind of like a nice nudge to their actual history to include that within this film. Even though it doesn't really directly relate to what we're going to be dealing with in in this movie, right? It, it's it's kind of a way to project the story forward without comp- without just jumping right into um, you know what happens a little bit later on. It's just a good little segue to kind of get you back into Ed and Lorraine's story. Also, the first one ended with them getting the call for Amityville, so it's kind of like a nice little way of syncing them up. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Lorraine did not have to stunt on them so hard. She looks, she looks good in this first <laughs> shot of them, and she's got her, 
her hair up. She's got her earrings in. She's got that little turtleneck on. The drip that Lorraine <laughs> comes with. She comes correct. Immediately she comes correct in the in the movie. Um, so, yeah, we get this. And it's also, yeah, it basically is just another thing where we see that Lorraine is still struggling with what we got a taste of in the first one, which is this these visions that are starting to be too much for her. Yeah. And we really get to see a different side of the Warrens in this movie. And because in this movie, we're introduced to this, the more skeptical aspect. Yeah. Because... Because this case got them more well-known and now more people are becoming aware of what they're doing, that is, of course, met with skepticism and people who think that they are just taking advantage of people or, you know, promoting this idea that the paranormal exists when that's not what's actually happening. And also going along with the idea of the skeptic versus believer, it's they also play with this idea of how much of wanting to help people is because you care about them and because you're really trying to solve this problem that they have and how much of that is you just trying to either on one side of the spectrum prove that their ghosts are real and shove that in people's faces or prove that they are just faking it and shove that in their faces um because at the heart of it there is a family behind this that is suffering and on both sides of the spectrum, you have these opposing ideals. And I think people forget that in these situations, although the story themselves is captivating, there are human beings behind it that may be suffering in some way, whether it be real or fake. And that's something that we didn't really get to see too much of them in the first one. Yeah, because in the first one, it's more just like, oh, Ed and Lorraine are here. All right, so there must be demons, you know? Like, there there was yeah. no really questioning it. It was, they're here, this is the way it is. Where, like, I think in actuality, a lot of times it was, oh, you sneezed, the Warrens would show up and be like, ah, you got a poltergeist, you know? Like, yeah. I feel like that was kind of it's the vibe demon. people mm-hmm. had towards them. Because I guess the, the real-life Warrens would... Tend, tend to uh, exaggerate things according to some records and like they mm-hmm. always would jump to demonic stuff. But I think in the first movie, you don't really get any of that. Like they're really set up to just be kind of like these heroic battlers of the demons. They're like our our Constantine marriage pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they and in the first one, it's so evident right away that something, or it's so evident to the Warrens into everyone right away that something is happening at that house. But also, we don't really get that much outside perspective in that movie. It's pretty contained Mm -hmm. to the family and then the Warrens and their investigative team. While in this one, we get them, we get news reporters, we get, you know, skeptics that come in, we get neighbors, we have, we're all the way across in London, or, yeah, like North London, I think is where they live. So... It's such it's opening it up to the world. And so we really get to see how the Warrens react to that and handle that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in the first one, we 
the the we got a lot of both Ed and Lorraine, but I do feel like the first one was a little bit more of a Lorraine led one. You got a lot more of things from her point of view and her insight. And in the first one, it's a tale of a mother being tormented, so she's able to relate to the mother, you know. And and we just get a lot more of her. And I feel like the opposite happens in this one, where we kind of get to see things from Ed's perspective a lot more because he i think more than her is really pushing back against this idea of people calling it fake and calling it a hoax like he is a lot more worked up about that aspect of it than lorraine is because at this point lorraine's kind of ready to pack it up yeah lorraine (laughs) needs to learn how to take a vacay for real for real yeah yeah she needs some sun and she needs some relaxation uh and she needs to st- yeah she just needs some 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 needs to happen because she's stressed and pressed for a lot <laughs> of this movie time. unfortunately mm-hmm. but i mean i guess if you see your the love of your life dying a premonition you would yeah. <laughs> it would stress you out a little bit i'm sure <laughs> it's a little tense mm-hmm. and that's another thing too is in the first one uh ed was very worried about Lorraine the entire time since, you know, that whole thing with her vision had happened. And he was so worried that something was going to happen to her the whole time. And then in this one, it's the reverse again, where Lorraine is worried about Ed mm-hmm. the entire movie, understandably so. Yeah, of course. And it, it, we're also presented with this idea, too, that this entity, whatever it was that uh lorraine came in contact with is much more fearsome than anything mm-hmm. this duo has dealt with in the past they're like this is the big one like we've never dealt with anything like this before yeah she's she whatever she encounters is strong is strong and she is and it's all very obviously targeting them like it's one of those things where because the demon that she encounters at the amityville house has nothing to do with amityville Mm -hmm. like it literally is just a vision that she has that obviously has to do with her family right and so i think that's another part of it that you know makes her feel weak is that it's so clearly about them Mm -hmm. in some capacity um which yeah is stressful i i get it like i understand <laughs> i get the you know the stress and the where she's coming from in this movie also because ed is so much on a kind of crusade in this movie that he isn't always thinking of the safe way of doing things and uh, that's another thing i think in the first one rain was kind of you know leading the pack on that one and then in this one ed and kind of can relate to the daughter in some way so he's like running he's gung-ho on this Mm -hmm. and lorraine's like can you chill right like can you relax i felt that is this gonna be a problem yeah (laughs) yeah she's like can you fucking sit down for a second and relax play your guitar that's fine <laughs> play, you play can do guitar. that <laughs> yeah it is on it is on one two and three in this one he's he's ready to fight every ghost he's ready to throw hands every, every ghost and way. every skeptic and every skeptic he's, too yo he was about to punch homeboy on the tv yeah, <laughs> he was ready to straight up throw down on public television i was like ed i didn't know you was thug like that yeah. my guy 
I was like, don't throw off the suit jacket. What are you doing? <laughs> Not the pea coat. Put it back on. <laughs> Not the pea <laughs> But okay, um, one 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 thing about this movie though that is different, definitely different from the first movie though, is that so like in the first movie, the even though we don't follow the Warrens the entire time, it still kind of feels like they're like the main um, focal point of the movie, where in this one, we do have a pretty even split, because once we go to England, we leave the Warrens alone for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I also, I also did write down in my notes, though, because it's always so funny when movies do this, is, like, when we finally switched over to England, I wrote down, ah, welcome to England. Here's a bunch of English things to remind you that we're in England. I'm saying, <laughs> is, is London Calling the only song that filmmakers can use when we switch to England. Like, they hit like, every single English stereotype in one montage. I was like, I commend you. I don't know how you got them all in at once. They were like one... Th- the only thing they were missing was like a chimney sweep coming down <laughs> the street doing like, you know, jumping in the air and it was a lot. Like yeah, it was dancing very... with the Beatles and shit. <laughs> yeah. It was very very much a lot because i uh, yeah i need a different song guys can we not do london calling please next <laughs> time we, i think i think we're good on that one <laughs> i'm gonna call it a wrap on london calling thank you thank you very much but yeah we so we switch over to to london mm-hmm. and we meet our family who what do you what do you think of of the the family dynamic in this one because it is very different than what we've got in the last one and it's a different dynamic they're in different circumstances and also although both of these movies were very you know have children actors in them mm-hmm. i will say i think this one is much more child led yeah than oh yeah the previous one Definitely, because Madison Wolf, uh, who plays Janet, is, you know, she's putting her A game throughout this entire mm-hmm. film, and she has a lot to do um, in this one, because, I mean, that was the whole focal point of, so for the homies that don't know, uh, first and foremost, this should be clear if you watch the movie, but a lot of the things that are happening within this plot line are based off the actual investigation that happened with the, the Enfield house. Uh, in real life. And so Janet is a real person who did exist. And her, most of the hauntings were kind of in relation to her. So subsequently in the film, a lot of times when we're dealing with something paranormal happening or somebody dealing with a haunting, it's usually Janet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and I didn't realize that she, the actress that plays her, is American. She's from Louisiana. Oh, shit. Yeah, she killed it. You really couldn't tell. I, yeah, I think she did great. Now, granted, I'm not super, you know, unless it's as bad as uh, Bert from Mary Poppins, (laughs) I'm not, I don't really know what's what's a, you know, bad accent all the time. So maybe if I had... You know, if I was from there, I might not say the same. But for me personally, I thought she was killing it. I had not a clue that she was American until I looked it up after the movie. 
All while all of our British listeners are like, these fucking wankers. Oh, <laughs> my know, God. They don't know shit. They're like idiots. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but I don't know. But, yeah, she sounded great to me. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, I liked I liked the fi- the family dynamic in this one. Um, I enjoyed the fact that we had, you know, the single mom who was clearly struggling to try and provide for her family. Um, unfortunately, have to deal with this paranormal paranormal bullshit. All on top mm-hmm. of everything else that she was dealing with, right? But I also liked how close-knit the kids in the family were, too. Because mm-hmm. I think that added uh, an extra layer of tension as a viewer. Because, like, once once shit starts hitting the fan, especially for Janet, I feel like you ultimately start feeling so bad for her. Not just because she's being possessed and haunted by this poltergeist, but because she's getting this giant rift formed between her and her family. And Mm -hmm. I feel like we established very early on that despite their shortcomings, this family is very, very close. Right. Mm -hmm. They are very close. They're just going through a hard time. They have recently had their parents have recently had a separation so we're they are only living with their mother at the time and they are living in a home that they you know she is barely even able to afford this home that they have and she's now has to take care of these four kids on her own so it's this idea of she's doing the best that she can but she's not it's one of those i i do like the her character in the sense of she obviously loves her kids and is doing the best that she can, but she's in over her head and she doesn't know how to fix that, right? Yeah. And then you add on this other layer of, oh shit, now everything is a million times worse than what I was expecting. Because when we first meet her, it's very clear, I think specifically for her and Janet, that Janet potentially has a track record of not always being she doesn't listen to her mother anymore Mm. and she's not maybe doesn't have a track record of always being truthful or always doing what she's told and so that's another aspect that's introduced because when things first start going wrong the mother is not immediately believing her kids but you can understand why you don't you don't think you know i can empathize with her why um but we as an audience know from meeting janet early on that even when she is telling the truth nobody believes her yeah which is ends up being a theme of this movie is you know is janet telling the truth is Janet telling the truth, but also an overall theme of how hard it is when nobody believes you and nobody is on your team? Because that's also an element that they introduced with like Ed and Lorraine and mm. and all of that stuff. So, but that yes, that is also a huge thing. Is is Janet telling the truth, or is this her trying to get attention because of this hard time that she is going through? Yeah, but also. Because we're the viewers, we also get the kind of bird's eye view into what's actually happening with her. And we get to see a lot of the paranormal stuff happening firsthand. So mm-hmm. it, it it kind of forces you to be on her side because as far as we know, everything has to be true because we're seeing these things happen to her. And then I think it allows you into her mental space a bit because you can feel her frustration 
with this notion of there is something very clearly happening here, but for whatever reason, you guys don't want to listen to what she's saying. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that that is taking a toll on her alongside all the, you know, paranormal shit that's happening. The last thing I wanted to say about it is that I do also enjoy, because of the way that their relationship starts in the beginning, I do enjoy the the journey that the mom and Janet go through in the movie. Because in the beginning, you can tell that their relationship, I think out of all of the kids, their relationship in particular is the most strained because she's just having a, she's having the hardest time, at least from our point of view, adapting to the changes that are happening. So her and her mom are just not getting along. And you go from her mom not believing her to then believing her to then being really the only one that's there for her. And you just kind of see them get close again which I think is a nice little, I, I enjoyed watching their relationship throughout the movie because from where they start to where they end, you can tell that their relationship is, is fixed. Like it, you know, they, they're bonded back to caring about each other and listening to each other and believing each other, which is yeah. nice. Yeah, it's super cool. It's like everybody's out here hating on this poltergeist like he's doing wrong. He's out here just solving family problems. He's bringing families closer together. Yeah. What we don't know is that he was hired by the mom to bring them closer together. (laughs) That's what we see in the in the bonus. That's it. That's a deleted scene. If you get the Blu-ray DVD, they go directly into. Yeah. Yeah. Half of the younger, <laughs> half of the younger homies are like, "What the fuck's a DVD?" A DVD. Oh, there are still DVDs. <laughs> Maybe like a VHS Barely. or like a cassette tape or something. There are definitely still DVDs. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. I have a question for you. All right. This is a very serious question that this movie brought into my head. Um, that I hope somebody has an answer for. If not you. Okay. And that is, um, whose bright idea was it to make Ouija boards a game? Just out of curiosity, like who, when did we decide that talking to the dead was a recreational activity that we should be doing? Because <laughs> every I... time we get into these damn ghost movies, these people out here playing with Ouija boards like that shit ain't like it's fucking dangerous. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like it's all just fun, all shits and giggles until the demon comes and is throwing you across the room. Mm hmm. I don't know. I I imagine that it was someone who was like, oh, people are like interested in spirits. Wouldn't that be kind of fun? Right. If we let them talk to spirits in their own home. It's like, no, no. (laughs) I don't know. I think we could take that one back to the drawing board. I'm like, look, I can. I'm judgmental towards somebody in a horror movie using a Ouija board already. That's already a big no-no for me. Okay. Mm -hmm. But then when you pull in that you made your own Ouija board to play with. You lose a lot of points for me. <laughs> I was side-eyeing yeah. the fuck out of Janet when she whipped out the handmade Ouija board. I'm like, girl, girl, you should know better. Yeah, but I do, I do like that because you can tell her mom is not about the shits. Her mom is like, <laughs> I would have never bought you a fucking spirit board. <laughs> like, of course you made your own. Um, But it is kind of crazy. Yeah, they, they make their own on the back of basically like a magazine or something and it still works 
like it yeah janet was real life trying to make a connection with some people she shouldn't be talking to Mm -hmm. um her mom needs to let her know that stranger danger does apply to the afterlife and uh she should be wary about who she's trying to have conversations with and these the kids in this movie i mean what is up with kids in horror movies and them feeling the need to be Nancy Drew? Right. Like everybody, every kid in the in a horror movie likes to explore the sound and go down the halls in the dark. And when I was a kid, if I even saw a spider on my wall, I was running into my parents' room or throwing my covers over my head. The amount of times that these children walk around and get spooked before they decide to scream or go wake someone up is mind-boggling. Right. Especially Billy. Billy Billy was Billy? the main offender for that shit. I was like, Billy, you wild for this one. <laughs> Not only are you walking around in the dark, you're investigating this weird noise. Mm-hmm. You don't wake up your brother. That's the first thing I would have done. That fire truck bullshit yeah came came driving towards me with its sirens on with nobody pushing it my brother would have been awake so fast he would have been he would have been spooked by how quickly (laughs) i woke him up because that's wild well not only did he let that that poltergeist do everything that it wanted to do in the scared dictionary to him he, he, he just had no resistance like my man didn't even attempt to close the door or anything like that mm-hmm. he closed the door and he went and like checked the hallway like six times before he's like okay yes. now i'm gonna like if the yes. ghost was trying to snatch you the first time and missed you just gave him five other opportunities to scoop your ass up like i don't know yeah. why you kept walking directly into the face of the devil when you yeah. could have very easily closed your door and just hid under your sheets. And just called it a night. Mm-hmm. He was like, oh, sorry, bro. Did you mean to kill me? We can try it. Let me come out here. Let me bring the <laughs> truck back to you really quick just to give you a chance. <laughs> but yeah, he... So, and in this movie, there are a lot of fantastic um, panning shots and mm-hmm. tracking shots. Oh, yeah. That help to give this movie a lot of movement it makes things seamless and like it makes the transitions seem almost as if you are there in the house walking around with them yeah and it it gives they're fantastic and it and it makes it so that this movie the way the story moves Although it's like a two-hour movie, it feels pretty brisk. But I think that's because everything kind of transitions into everything else fairly well. This part was a little bit... This is the only part where I felt like it was a little bit too much. Is that shot of Billy when he peeks out of the hallway and then he goes back. And then he peeks out of the hallway again and then he goes back. And then he peeks out. It's like... Two times too many for me. Mm-hmm. I think that's the only time I didn't like it. Because yeah. we knew what was... Like, you knew either something was going to be there when he looked back. Or, you know, there was going to be a big noise when he looked back. And it just happened too much for my liking. But right. other I, than that... Yeah. Other than that, they're great. Yeah. It's like... It was right around then that like, I wrote down in my notes. I was like, yo, Billy is new to this whole survival thing, isn't he? Like, he's a little... Uh-huh. He's a little young. He hasn't quite developed his survival skills yet apparently because he's he's just trying to get yeeted by this by this mm-hmm. ghost 
But I agree with what you with what you said though. I think between the Conjuring one and two, it's very clear that they have mastered. And when I say mastered, mastered the art of shooting in mm-hmm. a house. They know how to use every angle, direction, just the from their lighting to the colors that they use when they color grade, like everything. They make it feel like a home. But then when they're using their when they're doing their camera moves, it's just always so seamless. Like everything feels like a one shot, even if it's not. It still has that same energy of a one shot. And so it gives you this, like you said, this immersive feeling of like you're walking through the hallways, just kind of an observer to the things that are happening to these mm-hmm. family. Um, and I also absolutely loved the um, the sleepwalking transition shots that we get with Janet throughout the film where she like lays down to go to sleep and then it just kind of, it holds on her for a moment and then the camera will pan out. And then all of a sudden we're like in the, mm-hmm. the living room and it's like, how the fuck did we get here? Like I right. love those because they're, they were, they were just done so expertly that you couldn't really even see where the cuts were. At least and, it, and it makes you feel just as confused as Janet. Cause you are wondering how that happened, when that happened, like when did she get down there? It, it's just one of those things where it it really does make you feel like <clears throat> you're a fly on the wall in this situation, witnessing all these things happen to this family because you're almost traveling this journey with them, especially Janet. Yeah. A lot of I do enjoy that we get to see so much of the terror that's happening to her. I I love being able to be there on those sequences and I really love being able to be in her perspective for those sequences because what was um what was one of your your favorite haunting sequences and then maybe one of your least favorite haunting okay. sequences. This is hard cuz I I really <laughs> like a lot of them. Um, one mm-hmm. of my favorite ones. Okay, can I cheat and do two? Because I have one that's like not really with Janet. That's fine. Okay, that's fine. Well, we'll my we'll let it rock. <laughs> uh, we'll I'll talk to the homie council, but we'll we'll let it through. We'll we'll let it through. Thank by you. all means. Thank you so much. Um, okay, so my my favorite haunting sequence out of the whole movie is the one with with Billy and the Crooked Man. Because I mm. love the Crooked Man. I wish we could have gotten more of him. I just think mm-hmm. he's such a cool character. And I I just think he has... I love those kinds of characters that are kind of based off of childhood fears or things that you might see in your childhood that, you know, could be considered creepy. And mm-hmm. I just think he's such a, a cool-looking go or demon or creature or whatever he is um and i think they they so they did that that's like a mix of practical and then i think they use cgi for the face um um but it's played by javier botet who if you homies have probably heard of him he's been in a bunch of different things and he always plays like a he's always like a character actor like he plays you know, different characters like that, where it's like very body centric. He played, I'm pretty sure he played Mama in Mama. He oh, like, shit. Mm-hmm. Really? He okay. played like the hobo in the new It movie. Like mm-hmm. he just, he always does characters like that. 
But, oh, man, I just think he looks so cool. The Crooked Man is, like, what, like, half these people say that they want to date a man like the Crooked Man. They're like, (laughs) I want him to be tall. I want him to be fashionable and witty. And he Mm -hmm. has to love children. That's, like, what the Crooked crooked Man is. But That's that's literally his Tinder profile. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's, like, him leaning on his umbrella and, like... (laughs) With his hand on his hip, with our like sharp teeth smiling. Yeah, or he's like bowing down with his hat, and he's like, "Milady," like that's mm-hmm. what his profile picture is. Yo, um, real real talk, he get a lot of he get a lot of swipes. I bet you money he get a lot of swipes. I would, I'd swipe. <laughs> no, no, I'd I'd have a conversation. Um, so oh, I love. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, um, because we're talking about the cricket man right now. You wanna know what was actually a slight disappointment not directly related to the crooked man but Mm -hmm. because we didn't get a lot of him is i was kind of disappointed that i mean we go through a lot of throughout this movie variations about who's the big bad in this one yeah Uh and i was disappointed that the crooked man wasn't just the big bad of the house like Mm -hmm. i understand that we're going with a more nuanced approach once we get introduced to bill but for me Bill just didn't hit scare-wise, if that makes sense. Where it's like, he the things that he was doing, um, the way he was haunting was very scary. And those things frightened me for sure. But he himself, just like this old dude, just I, I, I had a hard time being afraid of him. Whereas if the entire time you told me that the Crooked Man was the one that was terrorizing this family... Then that's when you're pulling some real fear out of me Um, (laughs) because he's a terrifying image and we get so little of him that it almost feels like it's a little bit of a waste um, because the scenes that we do get with with the Crooked Man are so good. Yeah, he's so great. Like, he's just so fantastical looking and I think that's what I like about him. But I agree. I wish we got more of him. Um, you know, I, I almost wish they used him a little bit more to terrorize the kids because obviously the crooked man would be scary to yeah. them. And that's and why the, he's used on Billy. Like, I would have liked to see him used a little bit more, I think. Yeah. And they even set it up too. like when we see the toy for the first time that introduced the crooked man, you instantly know like it, it's horror movie one on one. When you see that toy, you're like this figure in this toy and this toy are about to scare the shit out of me in about 20 minutes like you already know the moment it gets introduced anytime there's a musical box of some kind in a horror movie you know shit's about to go south so it's Mm -hmm. like he was already set up to be the the dark brooding figure for this film but you know he was kind of more like a like a side villain like a henchman than he Mm -hmm. was like a main one which kind of sucks and, like, I did read that they have mused the idea of doing a spinoff with just the Crooked Man. Um, I don't know if that got shelved or if they're still doing that, but um, I would love to see more of him. Yeah, I would as well. So, yeah, please do that. Thanks. Yeah, person um, who's doing that, can you do that quicker and, like, now? Please do that, and I'll pay you a lot of money. Well, in tickets. And by not, I, not... she means someone will. <laughs> I just mean I'll come and watch it. And I'll pay the price of the ticket was what I meant when I Which said that. Which is still I'm a sorry. lot of money. Was so that maybe weird? your was statement that stands. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah. So I really liked that one. I also really enjoyed 
the scene where she wakes up on the ceiling. Ah, uh, yeah, that was one of mine too. I That's love that one. a great shot. And I guess they did that by building the set upside down and then like pulling her through a trap door. So she's just oh. like laying on the ground. So and the, so pull the pull through that little camera move is like slightly practical too. That's mm-hmm. that's pretty dope. Yeah. I loved, I love that. I mean, I already said I love the transitions in this movie, but that one in particular, when he eats her from one room <laughs> into the locked Next. room, mm-hmm. that shot is so cool. Yeah, that that shot is really cool. And I love that image of her being trapped in place and and just hearing him walk mm-hmm. up the stairs because right. it's just this feeling of vulnerability and this feeling of there's nothing I can do because even if I wanted to get free, I'm going to fall to right. the ground. So I just feel like that's one of those moments where she is completely at the mercy of, you know, Bill and whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And there's really nothing that she can do about it. So I yeah. just think that that's one of the creepier times. Because, uh, you know, in, in other times she's, she is able to kind of escape if she if she needs to. But in this one, it's like, nope. There's literally, like, what do you do in that situation? Yeah. And, that, and that was one of the few sequences, too, where I do think Bill was actually intimidating. I do think he was yeah. intimidating during that whole sequence. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's definitely fucking with her heavy in that because te- he's like whistling and mm-hmm. and then he flips all the uh the, the crosses, crosses and everything. yeah he's just messing with her he's mm. he's, he's doing the most there and so you know, you know where this feeling came from is the scene where she's watching tv and we see his face for the first time that shit fucked me up because <laughs> i was like who is this old motherfucker this is the dude that's scaring everybody that's literally what i thought in my head is like this old <laughs> this old bitch this is this is the this is the problem. Somebody mm-hmm. just fucking push him over. Like <laughs> he yeah. looks like he'll break at a stray wind. Like why are we afraid of this man? Yeah. But then that sequence happens and you're like, okay, Bill. All right, like, all right, all right. Oh, okay, okay. But you know what though? I can see why I I feel like for the kids for and for Janet specifically that would that I don't know. I feel like there's this kind of idea with elderly people when you're a kid at least when i was a kid i always felt very intimidated by them because this whole idea of like respect your elders and um you know and you just kind of you never feel like you can speak up or fight back or do it it's just kind of like oh whatever they say goes Mm -hmm. and there is this kind of you know feeling of oh my god they're so we're at two completely different points in our lives are so different from me it's like this almost this feeling of like i don't know what it's like to be an old person kind of a thing when you're a kid so Mm -hmm. i could see how that would be very scary for janet you know what i mean but if anybody else was the like say this was another one where they were going after the mom i feel like that would i don't don't know if i would have been able to like buy into it as much but for her case, I do kind of like the juxtaposition of this old man going for this little girl. Because you're like, yeah. dude, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, and he's, why? And he is, he is hell-bent on Janet, too. Yeah. Like it, He doesn't even give a fuck about the other kids, for real, for real. He's like, nah, I know yeah. which one I'm fucking with. It's like he'll mess with them, but he almost only messes with them if they're in the way. Mm-hmm. Or 
if you know it, it's like because even when he messes with billy that first time he's doing it because he's telling janet that he's gonna mess with billy and that yeah. stresses her out mm-hmm. and that's like the reason that he does it yeah so, and like yeah. that's the that's like the whole notion too when we get into like possession stuff too right it's like nine out of ten times the whole point of all the scares and why they're doing this stuff is to break down your mental state so mm-hmm. that your body becomes more susceptible to them taking over, I believe is how that goes. Yeah, yeah. And that's what they play on in this movie is the idea that they need to weaken her as much as possible so that mm-hmm. she will be susceptible to be completely taken over. And I like, I kind of liked that they likened it to a bully to make it make sense for the kids. And yeah. this idea of like, hey, they're just trying to break you down. But if you st- if you don't let them do that, then you'll be stronger than you think kind of a thing yeah. which i mean i i don't always agree with that sentiment but it works in this one because it makes sense to the kids of course it ends up backfiring on them in the next scene i was like Ed, <laughs> Literally Ed. A scene later. i was like edge you could have been a little bit more clear on your instructions <laughs> maybe don't make him think he has to literally go up go to fight. the fucking demon yeah and oh, pull a knife out of the table but i get what what he was trying to say yeah, um most <laughs> but i think my and then sorry uh, my least favorite one it, not because it's bad or anything but i think out of all of them it's the most like eh, is the one where they're in the basement and the, oh, in the, the water, water. Yeah, yeah it's it's fine but i think out of all of them it's like eh, i've seen that before and it's so it's the least effective for me personally it felt so weird with like the dentures thing too where i was like those are the most conveniently placed false teeth i've ever seen also how did he see those uh, like all the way in the depths of the water and just like like i get i get it like i get it right like at this point in the movie where once like once the warrens show up and the other and they meet the other investigators because essentially they're just there to observe and prove that something paranormal is actually happening and that mm-hmm. the family's not faking it, right? So mm-hmm. throughout the film, we get these instances where, like, we see paranormal things happen, but then skeptics or everybody else will see um, the more logical explanation to all the stuff. And that one, to me, was a fucking stretch. <laughs> that yeah. a pair of disembodied dentures underneath <laughs> water somehow managed to bite Peggy on the arm and pull her almost into the depths of the basement. I was like, this, this is a, a little bit of a stretch. A little is bit of a stretch. Is that there. what was happening? I thought that it was just that. I thought that the ghost... <laughs> I thought the ghost dropped the dentures because <laughs> you hear, okay, listen though, you hear something hit the water, right? Like that's what makes Ed turn around and look and mm-hmm. he finds the dentures. I thought the ghost was dropping them to kind of raise more skepticism because throughout the movie, he's he's trying to get the Warrens to leave. That's mm-hmm. why he never wants them to see anything. Mm-hmm. And so I thought he was dropping that to almost say like, to almost make them think that something weird was, or that it was fake mm-hmm. because there's these dentures and like she has a bite mark that is missing the same two teeth that the dentures 
right now have i don't know i i was a well, little no, bit confused think, by it but yeah, no, i don't think you're too far off there but you, you want to know what i hope actually happened though i i hope that what happened was he was pulling her under the water and biting onto her arm and then when ed turned around he did like the ghost little vanish. He's like, oh, I gotta get out of here. So he and he poofed, left his dentures. But he accidentally <laughs> yeah. without his teeth. Yeah. He, he was just walking around invisible, being like, fuck, I lost my truth. He's like, damn, damn it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hope so too. All right. I hope he was like trying to hurry up and put them in before he poofed away. And then and he realized he was out of time and he's like, fuck. And he just had to leave him behind. And then, yeah. And then you hear that. And it's like his teeth falling in the water. But um. I, I do think I know I, I, I think you're onto something because we do get the notion that um, especially with the uh, kitchen destruction scene and like that getting caught on tape and uh, the other investors being like, oh, she's faking it. Like, look at this tape. And then we find out later on that she was supposed to fake it due to what the ghost was telling her mm-hmm. um, what to do. So I think the idea that uh bill was trying to sabotage the credibility of the family isn't too far off like i don't think that's a too far off thought Mm -hmm. um but i will i I will say that i was kind of musing in my head my issues with bill and why he didn't scare me and i do think it's because one of my favorite scares was with uh uh the valak nun nun thing when the uh painting. they're in the room with the painting that shit mm. fucked me up that <laughs> painting scene where it's like she's turning back and like you already know what's gonna happen you already know that eventually she's gonna come out of that wall and like come after you but the the tension of when it was gonna happen was murdering mm-hmm. me during that bit Very because that well. that image is terrifying like the the imagery James Wan wanted to use for the big demon, uh, he I guess he went with the nun thing because it was in direct opposition to um, to Lorraine's faith. So mm-hmm. when he was like, how am I going to dress this demon? He went with the nun imagery because he was like, oh, okay, the, they're both very devout to, um, to the church. So let me make something that is in direct opposition to the church to be the big bad. Mm-hmm. And I think it worked really, really well. It also gave me a lot of the Sentinel vibes now that we've covered that movie. I was mm-hmm. like, I couldn't help but think, I was like, did they get inspiration from that movie for this? But I guess he crafted this particular demon for this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's great. Great image, great demon. Um, they play a lot with hands in this movie and mm-hmm. seeing demons' hands before you see them. Um, which is very effective, at least it is for me, because, yeah, you, you see them kind of gripping onto the painting and before Valak runs forward. But this is also a great scene because I think it's a, a great showing of, of making the daytime just as scary as the nighttime, because this entire scene takes place during the day. But it's just as scary as some of the scenes that take place, you know, in the dark at night. Um, But I will have to say, I do think it's funny. So when Ed is painting this picture, Mm -hmm. I always love seeing in movies when an actor's character is like something that the actor obviously isn't doing. 
And so they're like, oh, I'm just finishing up this project. And he's like like, painting. No, you ain't. (laughs) He's like, just finishing up my painting. And then it goes over and he's just like patting her, like patting the face. But but it's like so obvious that the brush has no paint on it because (laughs) what? And he's like, he like does a couple dabs and he's like, ah, all finished. I'm like, oh, are you Ed? Was that the finishing touch you needed? <laughs> imagine <laughs> oh, that's imagine that's Ed's hobby is like she thinks he's a great painter, but he just goes down to the local art store, <laughs> buys art, <laughs> and then waits for her to wake up. He, like, like, oh, hey, home. baby, I just finished this painting. Yeah, uh, working on it for like ten minutes. So it's just yeah. a little doodle. But it's I like do. just just putting some finishing touches. I know I'm no <laughs> Picasso. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like the most it's like so detailed it looks exactly like the demon and he's like ah, i know i'm no picasso but I, I could. i'm like all right sit down but yeah uh this is a great great scene see this is when keeping it real goes wrong because valak was trying to play it all cool and was like oh fuck around and find out type of thing told lorraine what its name was mm-hmm. and she used it against the demon later i said valak what what was you what are you playing at like what was yeah. your thought process with that one why would you tell lorraine yeah, why would your you name respond? <laughs> are that, you that, that confident that things are gonna go your way like <laughs> it had to be like valak had to be flexing there because for what reason you have to know that's your one weakness right like i, right. I granted no, I'm not a demonologist. I don't know the in, in the inner workings of the demonic mind. But I gotta think that you know at least one or two of the guidelines of being a demon. One of which is don't tell motherfuckers your name. I'm saying, keep it quiet. This isn't a Beetlejuice situation. You gain <laughs> nothing from her knowing your name. So why were you messing around? Why were you playing around? Ridiculous. Keep it moving. Like, keep it wrapped and keep it moving, girl. Right. But how do you how do you feel about how everything wrapped together? Like once we got once we got the Warrens with the family, you know, we figure out that Bill is just an innocent poltergeist bystander mm-hmm. to all this, and Valak is the one truly uh, uh, running the show here. Like, how do you feel about the conclusion? You know, I like it. Like, I love the ending of this movie because. When everything is all settled and they come out on top, I think it is very satisfying. They do a great job with the emotional moments in this movie, and I feel like it really pays off in the end because, you know, you you have this whole thing with Janet where she is talking about how hard it is and she's losing all of her friends and everyone's afraid of her and she's so tired and all these things, right? Like, mm. they're, they're making it so clear that this is just like destroying her and so they keep alluding to this idea that you all you need is one person you can rely on and everything will work out and then in the end she she gets that right like Lorraine and Ed come through for her everything works out they have their hero reunion you her mom is there and it's great like it's a great loving moment you also get this moment with ed and lorraine at the end where they're dancing and they're finally at ease and at peace mm-hmm. and so it works for me like i love that i i i still don't know how i feel about the whole like 
red herring yeah idea of oh was this demon? Like, like it was demon there was always like this it. demon because don't get me wrong as much as i enjoy valak it seems a little convoluted i just don't know why if valak is so powerful and so strong why why need bill at all like mm-hmm. what is that bill's was, purpose that was my i had two issues with this film i really like the film but i did have two issues And one of them was, I feel like this movie would have made more sense to me personally if they just picked one in terms of their big bads. I think having three separate ghostly figures that we had to deal with kind of stretched my attention span a little thin. Mm -hmm. Um, And it made me, like, even though, yes, we, we realized at the end who the strongest of all these were... But it's just like, I think bouncing between all of them kind of took me out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it is. A, it's a it's a bit much, but particularly when you realize that Valak was using Bill as a, like a decoy, but then also using the Crooked Man like as a decoy type of thing. And and they were doing that so that Ed and Lorraine wouldn't sense them. But yeah, but the but, but like, Valak also straight up presented itself to, to Lorraine, Lorraine earlier. So like we already established that Valak don't give no fucks. So Valak why is give, yeah Valak doesn't give a fuck? And also yeah, maybe if it was ah uh, yeah, it, it's just I'm not sure. I'm like <laughs> I almost just wish that I don't like Valak is one of those things where I'm so happy that we got. Mm-hmm. But I almost wish. It was just Bill doing yeah, his thing. That's what I mean. It's like whoever it was, I just kind of wish that they went with just one mm-hmm. of the bad guys, just so that it would allow me as the audience member to really hyper focus on who it is I should be afraid of and why. And I honestly, for me though, this was kind of my issue. I think I talked about it a little bit with the first Conjuring too. Is like the the Conjuring's for me, even though I love the movies. I feel like they always lose me a little bit in their endings. Mm. I I can accept the fact that they kind of had the have these happy endings, quote unquote, um, where everything kind of works out. And like after everything you go through for the movie, it is kind of cathartic to be like, okay, yes, we win, awesome. <laughs> um, but it's also kind of jarring for me at the same time too. And I feel like it takes me out of that scared mode that I was in, mm-hmm. that I was very much enjoying. And I was like, I don't think it had to, but maybe for, I mean, it's PG-13, so maybe just for, like, universal appeal, that's why they have to go that direction with it. Um, just, I don't know. It, it Both times in both the first movie and this one, the wrapping everything up in a bow and, like, ultimately no one really gets hurt kind of, like, like, eh. They yeah. killed like one person, you but, know. But that's also the risk you run when you're doing something that's based on true, true events. Is true. a lot of these incidents didn't amount to anything. They they just stopped. You know. You know. And in, in most of these cases, there was no the the like Warrens didn't even really succeed. It's just that eventually the quote unquote hauntings just stop one day. And it's mm-hmm. like, you can't have that in a movie. And because nobody died in real life, you have to have a, a picture book ending because your only other option is to just be like, and it stopped. 
<laughs> so yeah. I guess like, you know, this is the only way that things could go is unless not to say that these are per picture perfect retellings of the events because they obviously embellish a lot of it's Hollywood. You have to embellish things, but uh, you can't just, you know, you but also can't kill people that didn't die in the actual incident. Yeah, because then it's, it's like, what the destroy fuck? Destroy your credibility. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so I, I, I get that. I do. I do. It's just I don't it's know. hard though. Don't it's it's hard to be like, okay, so then what is a good ending? But um yeah. I, I liked it, but it I agree with you. I think it's like just a little bit too much and it, it but it works so well throughout the movie, but then when you get to the ending it almost feels like whoa. <laughs> whoa, right. like rain it in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Alright, well I guess we all live happily ever after. Yeah. Especially uh -huh. when you get to the point where it's just like Lorraine says Valak's name and that's it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, like oh that's that's, a wrap. that's what we had to do the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And it like because even in that last bit when they're like hanging for dear life, I was just like it didn't hit for me. Not that it wasn't a good scene. It's just I knew they weren't going to get hurt. I mean, it is cheating a little bit because we know there's going to be another sequel. So clearly Ed does not die. But even without the sequel, I'd be like, they're fine. Like, I, right. I don't think that they're actually going to get hurt. And also, in, in the real story, the Warrens, I guess, only came through for like a day. Like, they came to scope out the scene, and then they left. They were not really that involved with this case. So that's another thing they had to think of, is how do we incorporate an ending that involves the Warrens? Because, in actuality, they weren't there for the ending. But, I mean, bringing it up, too, since we're kind of, like, at this point, kind of through the plot of the movie. Like that, mm -hmm. that's, ba that's essentially Conjuring 2, is them dealing with the poltergeist, the Warrens showing up, and then... Um, we get the Valak, and then boom, yeah, yeah, happy mm -hmm. ending, everybody wins. Uh, but uh, the cool thing with this movie, just like the first one, is despite everything, like you said, it is based off actual events, dealing with the Enfield poltergeist, which was a real thing, a mm -hmm. big story in Europe, too, during its time. My question to you is, like, how much, how much of that did you look into post-watching the movie, and then, like, how much did it add for you in terms of like the full experience of The mm -hmm. Conjuring 2? So I looked into it quite a bit. I went back and watched the like BBC coverage that they did on it. It's on YouTube. It's like 40 minutes. So mm -hmm. I watched that whole thing where they did all of the interviews and everything and showed the pictures and uh, the, the, you know, the interview that they do in the movie with with Janet where she talks or where Bill's talking through her. Like, I watched those clips and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just did, you know, read up on it. And do you think so, that it was, do you think it was real or do you think it was look, a here's lot the of thing. bullshit? <laughs> here's the thing, right? Is they have come out and admitted that they embellished. I'm pretty sure Janet herself has come out and admitted that they embellished and, and you know, d did some things up for the investigation and for the reporters and stuff that didn't actually happen the way that they said. Um, but they do also still say that what happened was some of what happened was real. The thing about it is you don't... So if you watch that BBC... If I saw that BBC thing... Without watching this movie, if I just saw that, when it first came out, I would have thought it was fake. 
Like, I would have thought that they were doing, like, a mockumentary or something. Because okay. the way that it is filmed, it's not concrete. Nothing is concrete. Everything mm. is, like, oh, we have a camera facing this way, and a shoe flies into the camera and hits him in the face. But you don't see where the shoe comes from. It's, like, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no... You can't say where that that any of that kind of stuff was totally organic and actually happened because there's really no evidence besides the the testimonies and you do have the stuff like with her voice yeah but also the way so the way that that is one thing that's a little bit different because i will say they nailed so much of the stuff from that is in the bbc they nailed it in the movie these people Mm -hmm. look exactly the same the house looks exactly the same uh What's that guy? Um, Morris? That mm-hmm. guy? Oh, yeah. Oh, Morris my looks God. exactly what the, the same. Fuck? Like, is he that didn't just realize. the same man? Yeah. I was <laughs> like, okay. So, yeah. Like, there's so much about it that they absolutely nailed. Even the police officers, like, when they walked out, I said, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Did they just put that clip in the movie? Because it, it looks exactly the same. Okay. So they did a really great job with all of that, and I really have to commend them for that. But yeah, I don't know. In the BBC thing, the way that Janet talks when Bill is talking through her is a way that a kid could ma- manipulate yeah. their voice. Like yeah, you could I listen, see. I listened to the I listened to the recording too, and I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, this is like it's a voice, but. Like, I'm pretty sure in elementary school, I heard a fellow kid make this same voice. Like, I don't think it was that. It wasn't something that was like, holy shit, this can't come out of a human. It almost, yeah, it almost sounds like what Danny does in The Shining. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's that kind of a thing. But then in the movie, they, it sounds like a man. Like, the way that they manipulate it and mix it with her voice, it sounds demonic. So, like... In my head, when I was watching the movie, I was like, bro, how can anybody question if this is real or not? That does not, no normal little girl could make her voice sound like that. That is an old man. No, this is not your house. Now, what's your name? Knock, knock. Very well. Who's there? Bill, 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 Bill. Bill who? My name is Bill Wilkins, and I'm 72 years old. But then that's not how it sounds in the BBC things. So, yeah, I would question it in the BBC thing. Mm -hmm. Also, shout out to that scene, though, the interview scene. That was one of the coolest fucking transitions. Like, all right, they cheated a little bit with the whole, like, look away so that they could blur out the background and have her swap with bill at some point right Mm -hmm. but the way it happens is still so seamless that it's super fucking cool when Mm -hmm. it's got his back to the chair and then you see uh you see janet sitting there and then slowly at some point she becomes bill yeah and then turns back into Janet with it. I loved that scene. That scene it's, was fucking dope. Yeah, it's super dope. And I do like that, too, because you're almost in the Warren's perspective because it's so blurry in the background. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. we can tell that something's going on, but you're almost from their perspective of, like, oh, no, you're not allowed to see, like, what all is happening mm-hmm. because I don't want you to kind of thing but um what about you what are your thoughts on the <laughs> um 
Well, here's the thing. It's like, I'm more so always leaning on not believer unless some shit happens that I can't explain. And then that'll pull me in to be like, oh, shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, watching the movie, I'm just going from the... Because it's more fun to just believe that it's real. I'm going from that perspective watching the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I started doing digging into the actual investigation, I think I believed it less and less. Yeah. Um, the recording being the big thing for me, I was like, this is just some, this is just a child doing a good old frog <laughs> real quick. Like, yeah. oh, I'm a ghost. Like, I was like, this, this is bullshit. But in the, despite that, um, I did feel the same way that you did, where even if, the story had a lot of holes in it. I'm talking about the actual investigation. Even if it had a lot of holes in it, it had a lot of um, memorable moments from like the the levitating to the interview and stuff like that. And the movie did a great job of taking the ideas of these things throughout the investigation and then presenting them in a way, in a very what if. Like what if yeah. it was real? Like, what if she was doing the voice? You know, what if she really was levitating? And I I mean, in this kind of movie, I feel like that's kind of how you got to go, right? Because mm-hmm. otherwise, you just turn into the BBC <laughs> documentary, mm-hmm. essentially. Like, you, got, you do have to embellish it. You got to make it a little bit more exciting. And I think they did a great job of doing that while still staying pretty true to the source material, too. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so it's like, even though, do I believe that they dealt with a poltergeist in that house? No. But do I enjoy the different aspects of the investigation and how they presented it in the movie? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. All right. But that's that's my feelings about it. I can that's get down. Me. I can get down with the get down. I get you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. I think that is, uh, I think that rounds it out. That's The Conjuring 2, y'all. Yeah. So what are we what are we thinking? How are we rating oh, it, this? Oh, it I, I, Erica, it's got to be biscuits. It's got to oh, be biscuits. Okay. <laughs> Let's yeah, those biscuits look good, dude. Those biscuits look good. Also, you know what? I forget that uh in England or Europe they call cookies biscuits, biscuits but and... it's such a cute name for a cookie. It, it I don't is. know which I don't know which word is cuter, cookie or biscuit. Uh. I'm partial to cookie personally. Mm-hmm. Um but biscuit is pretty. The way biscuit, Billy was biscuit saying biscuit made me want a biscuit. Yeah, I just feel like biscuit has like a little bit of sophistication to it, and then cookie just makes me feel like a little kid. And like, <laughs> true, yeah, I want true. a cookie. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, let's rate it. Let's rate it out of biscuits. Okay. Do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so for the conjuring two, I, I kind of I actually want to preface my uh rating real quick with I think. Depending on how you go into the movie, you'll feel different ways about it. Mm-hmm. Um, as just a paranormal thrill ride of a movie, I think this movie is like a four, four and a half to a five in terms of just like a fun, enjoyable, like scare me with paranormal stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me on a personal level, I would give The Conjuring 2 3.8 out mm-hmm. of five biscuits. And most of that is I really love the movie. I had a lot of fun watching it and I enjoyed it watching it again and getting to like relive a lot of this stuff. Um, but some of my cons for the movie were a little heavy this time around. 
the first I already talked about with I kind of wish they had just stuck to one antagonist for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of bogged it down a little bit for me. And then the other one was just length. Like, even though it does go by very briskly, um, because there's a lot of movement and there's a lot of stuff happening, it is a long movie. It is really long. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much of that length could have been, been potentially altered had there been some other choices made throughout. Um, so those two things kind of bogged it down for me, but those are really like the two things that pull any enjoyment away from this movie. I think it's a fucking awesome film. I think if you watch the first one, you should definitely watch the second one because it expands this world even further. Um, James Wan knows how to shoot a fucking horror movie, especially a paranormal one. And shout out to that entire team for some of the shots that they got. It was absolutely fantastic. The cinematography blew my mind throughout the entire thing and definitely got my brain thinking about different ways to like shoot kind of horror stuff like it, it inspired me to like want to just take up a camera and just try and make things look like bill was chucking my shoes across the room and shit <laughs> like that so 3.8 out of five biscuits from me nice um yeah I was like, how about you i'm gonna do i'll do four out of five biscuits okay Okay. I, I do really like this movie. You know me. I love a scary movie that goes after some kids. Um, <laughs> and I think this movie has some great sequences. One thing I actually really do enjoy about this movie are the little, like, quiet moments in between, the more intimate moments. Like, I love that scene with Lorraine and Janet. I love that mm, scene where... Yeah, those were, those were really good Those scenes. are great. Yeah, I love the scene where Ed is... Just singing for them and it's just almost like a moment of normalcy amongst all of this craziness like i do think they have some great intimate moments in this movie also patrick wilson has a fantastic elvis impression actually like goddamn and my man can sing of course Mm -hmm. he wasn't he was in the phantom of the opera though so we already knew day um but he yeah like the way that those are peppered in throughout these amazing, scary sequences, I think just really helps to give this movie a lot of um, like good weight to it. And it also helps it give have some nice like ebbs and flow where it's not all just, you know, scary, scary, scary. And it's not all like emotional drama. Um, it has a pretty good balance. The acting in it, I think is phenomenal. I think the Although there's too many of them, I do like all of the demons that we get, but I do have to agree with you that they should have stuck to one, maybe two if they needed to, but just given us more time with them. Because Mm -hmm. I almost feel like we don't quite get enough time with any of them. And particularly the ones that I find the most interesting the Crooked Man and Valak, we don't get a lot of them. So it's almost like a tease to mm-hmm. me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I would have liked to see more of them. But I do think that this is a really fun movie. Great, creepy, and is a, is a pretty... For having a sequel to a movie that is as great as The Conjuring, I mean, I have to give it up to them because I don't think that they disappointed for mm. they for me they didn't at all and that's a yeah. tough thing to follow up 
So yeah, four biscuits out of five. Nice. Now, did you, before we go, did you enjoy the original or this one more? If you had to pick. Mm, I would still have to go with the original, but I just think that's because something about the way that like the which is not to say that they're not still great in this one but something about the original because i hadn't seen a lot of the those scares before it really got me i think in this one i anticipated the scares because i knew the conjuring fairly well and so they didn't i think i only got spooked by like one of them um and which is when Valak like puts <laughs> puts its hand on the old man's <laughs> shoulder, <laughs> like. Um, but but other than that, I would think they're pretty even. But I have to say, for s- which one scared me more, and therefore I kind of have to give it a higher rating. I would go with the first one. Yeah, same, same for all the same reasons. <laughs> um, but yeah, homies, that is it for us talking about The Conjuring Two. Um, we hope you enjoyed our conversation and we would love to hear your thoughts on The Conjuring 2 and also the first Conjuring if you want to talk about it. Please don't spoil The Conjuring 3 though. We haven't seen it yet. We don't know one well, we don't want to know what happens yet. So keep it to the first two and we good. Um, but if you want to talk about those, you can always hit us up on our social media. We are homies of horror on everything or you can email us if you'd like to have a super in-depth discussion or if you have any requests or recommendations we are homies of horror at gmail.com and if you guys are feeling feeling really giving and really really fun you could go over to apple Podcasts. And you could leave us a rating or a review. Um, we'd very much appreciate it. It helps other people get their eyes on our podcasts. And we also just like to hear feedback from you guys and, and hear what you're thinking of the show. So please head over there. Leave us a rating or a review. We would very much appreciate it. Um, come hang out on Twitch, you guys. What's up? What are we doing? Come through. Uh, if you weren't there for that first initial Homies of Horror Twitch stream, you missed out on some awesome stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to say that like you made the worst choice you could have ever made, but I'm also not going to say that you didn't. Uh, so mm-hmm. why don't you go ahead and click the link in our bio next time you're there and check us out every Monday at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. as we stream live on Twitch talking more horror stuff and also playing some very fun horror games. I think when this airs, we are still playing through Left 4 Dead 2. So if you love that game, um, you'll love it even more if you watch us play it. So come through. (laughs) All right, homies. But that is it for us. We hope that you all have a great rest of your week. And we'll be catching you next Monday. Catch you later, homies. Bye.